Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Just the Headers. It is the cryptocurrency blockchain tech headline show presented to you by the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, if this is your first time listening, you're in for a wild ride. If this is your second time listening, strap in tight. Anything greater than two, you love us. And by us, I mean myself, D. And and yourself, who are you? Tell the people who you are. Who I am. Um, yeah. I'm broke. That's, right. That's who I am. Jesse the man broke. Now, if you are unfortunate enough to not know Jesse, you don't know one of the greatest men alive. And you're going to find out during this episode why that is. So we go over the crypto headlines from last week and a little bit from this week. Uh, we don't do Friday, Saturday, or Sunday news because that is zero confirmation news. So, uh, you ready, Jesse? Yeah, dude, let's do it. We're going to get right into this. Ooh, the biggest heists in Bitcoin history, how they were pulled off. So, if you've been in uh, Bitcoin any longer than maybe a month, you'll see that. You'll see that people get their money stolen quite often. It's got nothing to do with Bitcoin and everything to do with the criminals are taking their easy targets, right? Can't rob a bank, but you can rob a guy named Bob who doesn't guard his crypto very well or keep his money on an exchange. So let's see if we can zoom through this article to kind of give you an example of some of the biggest heists. The Curious Case of Bitcoin Bitcoinica. Interesting series of heists revolved around Bitcoinica. An early Bitcoin exchange by a 17-year-old entrepreneur. Well, that's all we need to read. But we've got <laughs> hackers first exploited a vulnerability in a shared online web host, Linode, and stole over 46.6 thousand Bitcoin. 46.6K Bitcoin from eight different Bitcoin services there in March 2012. That was a long time ago. That was right around when I first heard about this stuff. That could have been what caused the price drop. After I first heard about it. But anyways. Um, oh, that's a link to a video. They, they don't even give us the list. So what we'll do for you guys since you're listening. Jesse, give the people one tip on how not to lose your crypto. Put it in a safe place. <laughs> tip number one, put it in a safe place. Tip number two, don't keep it on an exchange. Right? Or do you? Or do you? <laughs> Uh, I remember when uh, who said it was it Ray and everybody was were making jokes like everybody tells you don't keep your crypto on an exchange but then during a run up like the people who get the first chance at liquidating are the people who have their crypto on the exchange yeah so it's like opposite psychology leave yeah. it on the exchange during the run up <laughs> yeah 
I think I said in one show, I was like, I know it's the, it's the trick. We've been telling you don't keep it on exchange <laughs> the whole time, but we do so we can get first access to the goodies. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, on to the next article. Sorry, by the way, these articles are from last weekend, which the dates would be, what, the 31st of May? 31st, 1st of June, and 2nd of June. This article is uh, written by Noel Atchison. Uh, who has the power? Retail or institutional investors? The answer is institutional investors. But let's read on. There's a scene in Pixar's A Bug's Life, a very underrated movie, where Hopper, the evil grasshopper, clocks his whiny brother with a seed, and then another. Neither really hurt, obviously. He then opens the valve to the large seed granary, and ouch, that hurt. The point Hopper was successfully making was the size and might do not necessarily equal power that lies with the seeds. I mean, the masses volume trumps influence. Okay. I see where you're going here. Noel. Noel looks like she's straight plucked out of a 1980s rom-com unnecessary information, but true. Nonetheless, we hear so much about institutional influence and the crypto market is that it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that institutions alone will decide when the next bull run will start. The wall of institutional money quotations that must that most of us were breathlessly expecting in 2018 was supposed to push the price of Bitcoin and other assets to the moon. Uh, Savvy retail investors would tag along for the joyous ride in a Lambo. Bridging a gap. Here's the thing. Institutions are not standalone entities that operate in a separate microcosm from the rest of the economy. Most hold retail money. The vast majority of institutional assets under under management are held by pension funds, mutual funds, and insurance companies. They're not going to make investment decisions without some insurance that their clients will be okay with them. So I think what they're saying is the institutional money wraps retail money. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying, Jesse? I see what you're saying. You mean the, yeah. So yep. retail money is institutional money. Institutional right. money is retail money it's like a it's like a square is a rectangle but a rectangle is not a square kind of situation going on right now the mind's blown. I, I think i think they're abusing the the definition of what a retail investor means though they're conflating the two and when when you say that institutional money is technically retail investors money it it's true but when you're talking about retail investors those are, so I guess their their money is doubly they can it can potentially be doubly into the same investment product, mm-hmm. and that would be that would be something that's probably not going to happen. And so I don't know if that's is what you're saying is that institutional money goes in first and is a, like a bedrock, and then retail through financial tools gets to build on top of that bedrock, right? You've got your mutual funds, pensions, things of that nature go into the things on top of that bedrock. So so in essence, the institutional money gets the most profit from gains because they're the closest to the asset. Yeah, after the researchers and the early, even earlier investors, yeah. Mm. Like if you were, if you were a person who just bought drugs on the Silk Road, you know, and then you're ahead of institutional money and after the original founders money right yep and last but not last 
for the past weekend. Moving right along. Millennial on the front, so I know this article is geared towards me. Samsung Galaxy S10, what's up with the crypto wallet? (laughs) Samsung's new flagship smartphone, the Galaxy S10, had one of the most anticipated premieres this year. The launch of the high-end lineup comprising three models marked the 10th anniversary of the Galaxy S series was just shortly recovering from the fact that their batteries were exploding and burning people and possibly bringing planes down. But let's not say the last thing because that would be like something that could get me sued. I'm just saying that their phones were exploding and nobody seems to care. Uh, Galaxy S series considered a benchmark in the Android world. A slew of new features were introduced for the latest model including the soft explosion feature. However, the one addition that sparked great interest into the crypto community was the Samsung blockchain wallet, which was housed in a transaction environment guaranteed not to explode. Uh, It's not available to many S10 users, and where, where it is included, it doesn't store Bitcoin. Interesting enough, won't explode. It's been almost a year since the Korean electronics giant published an article on the Insights platform explaining why smartphones have the best security for blockchain and cryptocurrency. Granted, the phones don't explode. In the blog post, IT consultant and security expert Joel Snyder argued that crypto wallets installed on mobile devices are better suited for storing digital assets to computers, and the digital aspects allows them a little bit of mm, risk, uh, you know, risk aversion if said phone does explode that's because smartphones utilize what's called a trusted execution environment uh, as a separate money is a separate memory and persistent storage completely isolated from the rest of the device uh, the operating system android in this case is unable to reach into the tee even when it's comprised so essentially it's a black box and as we all know in explosions black boxes survive the only way to get <laughs> i'm done with this Look, Samsung wallet doesn't have Bitcoin on it. Bitcoin is the biggest ship in the sea. You need some Bitcoin. Hashtag not investment advice. All right, let's move on to Monday. Jesse, it's your turn. Oh, look at the um, the news about the uh, Silk Road 2 admin. We'll likely see no prison time. Let's take a look at this. So following the sentencing of Thomas White, the founder of the Silk Road 2 marketplace during the first week of April, another SR2 administrator may evade prosecution. According to reports, SR2 admin Blake Benthall cooperated with global law enforcement and may only face fines for avoiding taxes. The news of the two SR2 admins' sentences further aggrieved Ross Albright's family who believe there is a disparity between their son's double life sentence and others who have seen minimal charges. Mm. Dang, he just got a slap on the wrist. No jail and tax. Fine. That sucks. That does suck. All right, so moving on to Monday's news. First article begins with why Bitcoin's culture war matters. War. So what is this about? Let's talk about Bitcoin, toxicity, and inclusiveness. What is it good for? Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. Sing it again now. <laughs> Boy, my Twitter feed is going to have fun over the next few days, says Michael J. Casey, the guy who you're wrote this article. Important. Michael, you're not that important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is this about? Money equals community? No, I don't know. Uh oh, did we lose Jesse? 
Jesse and Ink, we lost you. We lost you, Jesse. It's all right. I'll take over for Jesse. So, uh, here, here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Why Bitcoin's culture war matters. To start with, this is coming from Michael J. Casey, or as I like to call the man, MJC. To start with, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was gonna, I was gonna just do what you were gonna do, but you know what? Let me hand you the microphone back. <laughs> All right. Where did where did you leave off? Because I think I disconnected. I just started. We just got into why Michael J. Casey is so important. So. Oh, okay. All right. Here we go. So back to that article. Um, I was just saying that it's not that important in actuality. He's just yeah. talking about trying to extract the toxicity from the Bitcoin community so that it can grow better. The uh, toxicity. That never, that never happens. all right yeah so he's just saying that we need we need a nicer community and if we have a nicer community he'll uh somehow increase the rate of adoption or i don't know what he's thinking you need to wake up he's new here why don't you put on a little makeup okay (laughs) it's a good song man you know that song. it is good Yeah, yeah 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 you're right wake up why don't you Why put, don't a, you put a little bit of makeup? There you go. All right. <laughs> Sorry. You can't. I love the word, though. Like any t- That's why I can't have grown conversations, Jesse. Because any time like, somebody's like, you know what? That's just really toxic. The only thing I ever hear is toxicity in my head. <laughs> and I can't pay attention anymore. So. Oh, God. You're going to be fun at barbecues. <laughs> <laughs> like, like. Anyway, all right. Bitcoin's first public mining pool is rebranding the company. So this is an article by Alyssa Herdig. Um, she's talking about the company behind Slush Pool. The first cryptocurrency mining pool is uh, making its services publicly available and is rebranding. Oh, the first cryptocurrency mining pool to make its services publicly available is rebranding. The yeah. Prague-based company Brains is perhaps less well-known than Slush Pool. One of the largest Bitcoin mining pools as it makes up more than 9% of the cryptocurrency's hash rate today. Mm-hmm. Yet Brains has been operating, operating, operating it since it took over the historic mining pool six years ago. Now Brains is moving to make its involvement with Slush Pool more obvious, in part with a redesign of its logo and all its product websites. Brains creative director Lubos Bursinski told Coindesk, quote, after running and developing Slush Pool for the last six years, more or less in the background, we're going to take a more visible public uh, position with the rebrand brains wants all its products to fall under one banner quote the rebranding will also unify our other products and services including brains os bursinski mm. announced miners need to know to run what's known as firmware on their mining devices to monitor the performance brains os launched september of last year differs from other mining firmwares because it's open source it's not closed off like other proprietary firmwares Quote, if you own the hardware, you should be able to have full control of it without worrying about some hidden yeah. features. The project announcement post explains. I, want all I agree, too. Um, so in addition, Brains plans to release several new updates to their products in the coming months. The firm is working on a new, quote, payout feature for the mining pool, which allows miners to have more control of how they get paid. Further, Brains is, is quote, replacing the CG miner with Rust implementation for Brains OS, which would make adding new hardware much easier, according to the firm. So that's cool. That is pretty cool. I agree, Jesse. That is is pretty cool. All right, Coindesk. Uh, Local Bitcoins removes cash for crypto trading option. Oh, 
What? Helsinki-based peer-to-peer exchange. Local Bitcoins has reportedly removed the option allowing users to buy or sell cryptocurrencies in person for cash. In a Reddit post Sunday, a local Bitcoins user pointed out the option was no longer available on the platform, though some comments suggested the restriction may, uh, might be limited to the U.S. The removal of the option, which acts as a matchmaker for users to make trades in person, effectively bars local Bitcoin users from selling and buying Bitcoin for cash. Mm-hmm. Local Bitcoins has also canceled pending cash trades, other comments suggest. The platform has not yet made an official announcement about its change on its blog or Twitter feed. In response to the move, local Ethereum announced it has temporarily removed the trading fee on cash in person exchanges, effective June 1st to July 1st. Local Bitcoin's move comes after the company announced in February that it would comply with the EU's anti new anti-money money laundering directive. Several other P2P cryptocurrency trading platforms still offer an in-person cash option. Damn. The, the law and governments are getting so... Sque- they're just putting the squeeze on the crypto life, bro. They're putting the squeeze on it. But anyways. Damn. I had a thought while you were reading that. and uh, Yeah. Hold on. Let me... What was it? You know Don't what? I lost me. it. Okay. Yeah. Does does it help you? Does it help jog your memory if I tell you I'm about to eat some croutons? Croutons? No. This is the rudest thing ever to the listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. This is Asmar. Asmar. This is this is what they want. They just don't know they want it yet. You're ridiculous. Okay. All right, those are delicious garlic and butter. Oh, so if it's called the Texas Toast Croutons, that is Texas Toast Croutons. That is how much of a snackster I am that I knew by the (laughs) level of crunch and flavor and guess the brand of crouton. (laughs) That is impressive. I'm impressed with myself. Crypto exchange bits of gold win Supreme Court battle over bank block. So cryptocurrency exchange bits of gold has won a notable legal victory over an Israeli bank in its bid to keep access to banking services. On Monday, the Israeli Supreme Court ordered bank Luimi to allow the exchange ongoing access to its services, according to a report by Finance Magnets. Bank Leumi, sorry, not Luimi, but Leumi, had earlier moved to bar bits of gold after the bank classified cryptocurrency firms as gambling companies this is so stupid like this is dumb next article uh, the banks just pissed me off it's like we can't control it what are we gonna do like it's, it's stupid. um um block one voice social media eos facebook bitcoin or uh, bitconnect promoter wanted over i like this crypto. one here I like, okay. I like this one here what about Star Trek one? Bloomberg Terminal lists Ethereum-based debt instrument. Interesting. Cadence, which puts commercial debt into ERC-20 tokens, is now listed on the Bloomberg Terminal. In a first for blockchain-based financial instrument, Cadence has obtained a financial instrument global identifier. Uh, with this new designation, Cadence becomes easy to research and trade for the broad array of financial professionals working with Bloomberg Terminal. The market-leading software. Each Fiji record carries easy each Fiji record carries with it metadata such as interest rate, maturity schedule, and instrument type. 
In Cadence's case, it also includes the smart contract address on Ethereum. Cadence works with the sort of debt businesses need to cover short-term gaps in cash flow. Founder Nelson Chu said that this industry has run on Excel spreadsheets and phone calls, making it very opaque. We're creating an immutable ledger that houses all asset-level performance data at every stage of its life cycle, from inceptions through maturity. This creates an oracle of asset performance data that every counterparty in a private credit transaction can reference to accurately price, structure, and invest. So this is actually kind of neat, man. If it's kind of a niche that when you have a business uh, that is in debt and has uh, very long periods in between working capital influxes, they usually go and that is when they are building up debt and then they make enough profit to get out of debt in between the next time they're getting revenue. Um, this is neat for that. It That is definitely an industry that needs help. However, it's also really predatory. I almost kind of want to talk to these cadence guys. Because it seems like they've built something to be even more predatory. So, nevertheless, uh, let's move right along. Uh, that was a lucid thought stream from old Fergalotti. Uh, let's go to this. What did you do? Social media? No, you wanted to see the social. Which one did you want to The Star read? Trek one. Game creator. Lucid. Okay. Here site. we go. Do you remember the song? I do. Yeah. Oh my god. You gotta see it with me. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but uh, Star Trek, man, that should change the world. Um, Damn. Game creator Lucid Sight bringing Star Trek to the blockchain. Interesting. Let's see how this goes. How long can I get to this article before I call it a piece of shit? Blockchain games developer what? Lucid Sight. Huh? Is it really? Is it really? I don't know. Nah, 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 nah. Blockchain games developer <laughs> Lucid Sight is teaming up with the media firm CBS Interactive to bring Star Trek gameplay and collectibles what? to the blockchain. Ooh. CBS. Lucid Sight announced Tuesday that it has signed a deal with CBS. Oh my god! To introduce the iconic starships from the popular TV and film franchise into a digital universe. Dude, it's space space game CSC. Oh my god! You could buy the USS Enterprise as a unique oh. digital collectible, and you could be the only one that has it. No, like that's that can't be it. They're probably limited amounts of of that digital asset. You could be the only one that has one of the limited amounts. <laughs> Players of CSC for a limited time will be able to buy the starships, including the Enterprise, which will be. Wait a second, Captain. Yeah, you can buy multiple starships, including the USS Enterprise. What's crazy is the older I get, the more I like Star Trek over Star Wars. To me, Star Wars is just an overdrawn story about nobody knows what's good or bad. But in Star Trek, there's an ultimate good, and humans are trying to find it continuously. And I think I, I, I align with that more than I align with Star Wars. Yeah, I like Star Trek over Star Wars. Um, and Star Trek is getting cooler. And plus, Zoe Saldana, am I right? <laughs> okay, long story short, you could buy the USS Enterprise. 
Um, moving on to the next article. It says William Shatner has announced he was partnering with Materium. It's a legal tech firm. Yeah, I actually know quite a bit about that that I am not allowed to disclose. 2.8 billion U.S. consumer records lost in 2018. I don't like this website. What is this? dark reading in 2018 2.8 billion consumer data records in the u.s were exposed with personally identifiable information or as i like to call them pie making up 97 percent of the total information those comprised records led to losses totaling more than 6.500 billion for u.s businesses <laughs> sorry why did you say it like billion. that because i was gonna say it wrong and I had to <laughs> multiply by a hundred really quick, Jesse. Why do you have Jeez. to put me on punch street? <laughs> I was gonna say six point five four billion, and then Uh-oh. I didn't see that it was. You didn't see the decimal. Significant figures was a tough chapter for me. <laughs> the findings from Forge Rock's U.S. Consumer Data Breach Report are based on electronic consumer data breaches reported between January first and March thirty first. Sorry, 2018 to 2019. That information shows that's approximately 14 months. 14 months. Uh, that information shows that the healthcare industry is by far the most likely to be hit with breaches. It's responsible for nearly 48% of the total. That number is more than four times the percentage seen in any other business sector, which means that other business sectors have these breaches occur 12%. 12%. This is crazy to me. There were some significant shifts during the year. The number of healthcare breaches grew 400% between the first quarter of 2018 and the first quarter of 2019. And while unauthorized access was the most common loss factor in 2018, featuring 34% of all breaches, in the first quarter of 2019, it was overtaken by misconfigurations, which sprang into the lead. So, long story short, um... Be really savvy with your security efforts on the interwebs because people are out here and they're trying to take your stuff. And I think they already to... have our stuff. That's the point, right? Like, if you want to look for yourself, you could probably find yourself. Yeah, I look in the mirror. Ha ha ha! I was hoping you would start seeing a man in the mirror, but Michael Jackson oh. did that. Oh, that's too much. You're asking too much. I know. I know. <laughs> but let's it's your turn man Wednesday's all right here we go miracle is aki. Mi- aki okay está aki está aki si tu sabes español ahora si mi español es muy malo uh, para yo estudio español en el universidad <laughs> all right so, first article of Wednesday, Lightning co-creator releases code for Bitcoin scaling concept. Alyssa Herdig. Uh, Taj Drya, Dryja, who co-authored the original paper underpinning Bitcoin's experimental Lightning payments network, has released a new research paper outlining a proposed scaling solution that he's been working on for the past year. Released Monday, Utrixo would make par- be part of Bitcoin full nodes called State, also known as the UTXO State are set smaller and easier to run with the help of cryptographic proofs. 
Though the idea has been around since before Coindesk first covered the idea in January, this paper describes the idea in greater technical detail. Dryja is known for being one of the most prominent technologists behind the lightning idea that Bitcoin can scale significantly if transactions are pushed to a second layer. Several groups of developers are working to implement the technology for Bitcoin payments, though it's still experimental and not completely safe to use. Etrixo has a similar motivation, which boils down to making Bitcoin full nodes easier to run. Though they take some computing resources to set up, they're the most secure way of using Bitcoin without needing to trust a middleman to verify that transactions on the network are real. Quote, as the number of users of the system increases, the UTXO set grows and the resource cost of running a node increases. This has led to a progressively smaller proportion of users running their own node as more users rely on light clients or on third-party nodes to inform them of the state of the network, the paper explains. Yeah, I, I just I was just thinking about this just now. Um, are there any attack vectors that are based on most people running lightning, uh, or not running lightning, but running um, uh, trimmed nodes or prune nodes? Um, that's not that's a Doctor Pity kind of question. I can't answer something like oh, that okay. on the top of my head. Uh, okay. Uh, I I could we could try to problem solve it, but no, no, I, I like I'm like I'm wondering if like who would be like long term. I guess we can speculate on this rather than speculate on the specific technological issue. But how many people and who are going to be running full nodes long term from now when the when the transaction size or the when the when the full blockchain size is like many many terabytes, where people normal people are not going to have it on their you know computer, who will be running it? I would say that. My human experience leads me to believe that should this technology become as ubiquitous as we like, I would say 1% of the population would be running full nodes. So you still think some people would be running full nodes, or do you think it would be like large companies and the governments? Hmm. Doesn't government hijack whatever is pretty good? Oh, yeah, that's a given. It's, so like, the well, thing well, about like... I don't know. As I get older, I struggle with like government does this, government does that. But government is literally a arm of our sentience. Like we create it to control us better, which is like weird, right? No, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense, yes. But then, how do we complain about what we create? It's like we're walking hypocrisy, each one of us, and we just. Dump it's because a, a generations before they created it, we didn't have a hand in it, right? So we are subject to a system that we didn't create. But if we were systemless, we would create a government and structure, period. So it's like we're arguing with our past selves, which would technically, who would, we would technically be if we were in their shoes. I hope you're listening to these audience. We don't even smoke weed to think like this. This is just how we operate. We don't even smoke weed to think like this. This is just how we operate. So basically, our future selves are arguing with our past selves about the way things should be in the present. Yep, that's it. We think we're different, but we're not. Whew. All right. <laughs> that article got so deep so fast. My brain is right. smoking. Oh, that was a... First one. All right, here we go. Next article. Let's see if we can get something like that out of this next one. Why the dark? <laughs> Why the darknet sales, drug sales are on the rise. The public's appetite for darknet drugs remains undaunted. The a major new survey uh, survey has shown consistent growth in online 
and drug sales since 2014, with Scotland, Brazil, and England leading the demand for narcotics procured off the darknet. Despite numerous darknet markets and supporting infrastructure, including clearnet link sites and Bitcoin mixers being shut down this year, business is booming. Why the growth of darknet drug, darknet drug sales is a good thing. Global Drug Survey, GDS, the largest poll of its kind, has published in 2019 report in its 2019 report uh, into the state of the recreational drugs market. Questioned more than 123,000 people from over 30 countries, GDS findings include darknet drug purchases more than doubling in England in 20, since 2014, with 28.6% of respondents professing to having purchased drugs with it, uh, from DNMs. DNMs being the numerous dark net markets acronym that this person created. Um, bizarrely, GDS founder Dr. Adam Winstock told the BBC that the greatest risk associated with buying drugs online involves extortion. Quote, if you've given your name, somebody knows you've bought illicit drugs, he said, and then there's a possibility that they'll blackmail you. Slow down a second. Uh, there's no credible evidence to support this assertion you good yeah i'm good now i was just taking notes not for personal reasons but for a friend mm-hmm. oh, okay i got it yeah definitely definitely don't want to uh be in that situation where people are blackmailing you what the hell's going on in this article they're uh they're just talking about how let's let's keep reading um, there is no credible evidence to support this assertion. Moreover, the same reasoning, if it were true, could be applied to real-world purchases of drugs. Monero While hard drugs being... such as... What? Sorry, did you see this little snippet in the article about Monero being pushed as the money to do if you've got some shit going on in your life? I, I heard that that's the case, that they're moving away from BTC and using... Large, like, like, they still use BTC, but like Monero is definitely an option. This this is a deep advertisement. Are you trying to smuggle money out of the country? Smuggle that shit in Monero. Are you a pedophile? Go see clinical help and pay your therapist with Monero. Are you a drug dealer? Talk to your guy about Monero. Make him talk to his guy about Monero so the guy before the kingpin can talk to the kingpin about Monero. Are you the finance guy in an organized crime group? Pay your guys with Monero. Do you have this is readings from the article. Do you have a sugar daddy? Make your sugar This is on dread. Give you this is on dread. Okay, make your yeah. sugar daddy give you money in Monero. Are you a hitman? What the fuck, dude? That's the questionnaire on dread. No, that's See? a it's a it's a thread on dread. Dread's a forum on the dark net. This is why I don't fucks with the dark net. Okay, that's crazy. That's fucking bananas. Yeah, the more you know. Sorry, I interrupted you. Though. Keep going. Um, that's an old post, I think. So, but yeah, there was like a, a movement for trying to use Monero, but I don't know. All right. So that's that article. And the next article is $1 billion evaluate valuation may elude Ethereum co-founders new po- blockchain polka dot. Um, do you know anything about this? How much do you know I about this? I do not. I know Polkadot is like a uh, interoperability play along with uh, what is it, Cosmos and maybe Rootstock. Is it worth of, looking I think into? Rootstock is not exactly one to one. I don't think it's worth looking into. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean Polkadot's trying to get money, and 
What's strange is that in crypto, things went from ICOs to try to go traditional VCs. But if you do traditional VC route, you're automatically like not decentralized by definition. So it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, that's true. Blockchain is trying to find its identity right now. And there's only a few companies that know the identity and do that, but they're not going to get the true exposure that they should get because they're not like lame like these people that are like let's go to the vcs to get funding for this and that's not the way you're supposed to do it so i heard of the greatest quote of all this week when i was uh, i mean look at ripple ripple took vc money and it's doing fine and it, yeah, it looks it, it, everybody like do do people who invest in ripple know that they're buying a, de- or a centralized currency cryptocurrency they don't care. Nobody cares okay so they don't care okay so so the average ripple consumer if you had to like um, if you had to peg the person, the what's going through their their mind when they purchase Ripple, what are they thinking about? Who are they? They're thinking they want to make a quick buck, man. Because the the less something costs, and the more you see it copy something that made a lot of money, they think it's easy money, right? And so Ripple, though, however, the people that own it have enough sitting aside that people can play that game on the retail level, and they make money on top of money on top of money. I mean, it's just there's one thing like greed is greed and it's easy to see and in crypto what sucks is that the reality of the system is it is built to feed off of greed bitcoin's entire premise is greed is what we're controlling to have this distributed and decentralized and immutable ledger because everyone will be so greedy that it feeds the miners and keeps everything pure so it's a greed filter yeah it's just it is what it is it's a greed to purity to greed by the way when i say it is what it is it's because i'm defeated currently you know you know what what i just said like not even too long before we started the podcast what's that i used that same line it is what it is I hate that phrase, man. I hate it because <laughs> you can pick things apart. Imagine if humans always just said it is. That, what it that's is. exactly what just said. What was said? It is what it is, and then I hate that phrase. Yeah. Yep. Because humans, sorry, go on. I'm just. Well, no, I'm. I'm confused. You just confused me. What? What do you mean? You, you were saying that humans. Well, no, you said I hate that phrase. It is what it is. I hate that phrase. Yeah, exactly what you said, and yeah, that's exactly what I said. Not only like an hour ago, that you hate that phrase too. Yeah, I hate exactly it. that. It is what it, I said. It is what it is to something else that wasn't crypto related, and then I said I hate. Or no, uh, I agreed with somebody saying it is what it is, and they said I hate that phrase, and I was like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's so stupid. Like, imagine if like a guy, we would never have created or done anything if somebody was like, well, it is what it is. Right. Yeah, things progress. Just, yep, things just fall magically is what it is. No. It takes a certain kind of mind that says, why are things falling magically? Let me figure it out. Oh, it's because of gravity. Okay. Special. Curious minds cannot settle on. It is what it is. Lazy minds can't. Man. All right. So let's move on to Thursday. The no confirmation news, 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 news. 
Oh, the last article. Let me just go back to Wednesday for a quick no, second. Oh, we've got a lightning. All right, Apple's crypto kit launches. Uh, a launch paves way. So Apple's just giving you a crypto kit. That's no, it. No, they're not. That's false. There's other articles that refute that. I don't have time really? to go into it. I read like a ton of articles that are like this is very misleading information. So uh, not Apple's not doing anything with crypto. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, an experimental. This this is an article. Bitcoin's 2019 price run driven by real transaction growth analysis says it's crazy how when SegWit adoption keeps picking up and batch transaction adoption keeps picking up, and no one's mentioning the fact that more transactions are happening at less the cost. But whatever. An experimental metric used to gauge the quantity and quality of activity on Bitcoin's network clocked a 28 week high last Saturday, signaling the cryptocurrency's latest price rally may be more fundamentally driven than many expect. The transaction amount to active addresses ratio, TAR, first proposed by Coindesk contributor Violandero Digital Assets founder Chris Brookins, divides Bitcoin's 24-hour adjusted transaction volume uh, by the number of its active addresses identify how much each active address spends in transactions per day on average. If TAR is high, then it means each user is transacting in high notional values. In other words, the network quantity, how much is being spent, i.e. volume is high for the quality how many users are spending the funds i.e. active addresses when the quantity and quality of bitcoin network are high then one could expect a positive reaction in bitcoin's market and vice versa when the ratio is low since april of 2013 oldest data point available via coin metrics has been proven to the case as it has been made clear bitcoin's price only enters sustainable trends when it is accompanied by tar so this is an interesting article. I'm going to slap this in price talk and see what they think about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is like one of the articles last week that we were that I was posting. Yeah. So if you're in the Slack, you're welcome. If you're not, what are you doing? Pull over right now. Go to the bitcoinpodcast.com. Push the Slack button. Fill in the fields. Push submit. Join the Slack. It's fun. All right. That's your ad for the right now. Next article. We got two more articles, ladies and ladies. And then we're uh we're headed out. Here we go. Consensus Capital Co founder. That is a that is a good smile. That that gentleman has a good smile. It makes me want to listen to him. Consensus Capital co-founder departs to bring Wall Street money to Ethereum. Uh, this is written by Nicholas Steh. Consensus Capital co-founder Andrew Keyes will be the newest managing partner at Dharma Capital, a registered crypto-focused investment fund. Okay, so what does this have to do with Ethereum? If you, here's a quote from uh, him. So if you gave me 100 Ether, my goal would be to produce one Ether a month. Okay, cool. Let's, here's another quote. We believe that those tokens is in brackets will be components of the next generation internet and essentially there is a new asset class in what i would call crypto commodities so we're not interested at the application layer we're interested in the protocols that many different applications will use yeah so that's i like this guy i'm going to interview this guy yeah 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 we're going to bring him on the flagship i like the way he thinks what do you think about filecoin uh you talking about ipfs yep 
Um, I think it's going to be at least a century before humanity understands what that means. But I do think it's very valuable now. So slowly grow it until humanity figures that out. And then hopefully your legacy thanks you for how wealthy they are. Would you invest in it? Because that's what apparently uh, Keys is doing with uh, Dharma. Hashtag not investment advice, but yes. No, not that. Wait, Filecoin. Do I have it? None of your business audience. But um, a lot of things. A lot. So what I think is passed on humanity is that it costs money to use computers. That sounds foolish to say, right? But people just lump it into their electricity bill, right? But when you actually figure out how that cost is like the only reason i'm talking about this is because Corey, uh when he was doing his research and shit at tech i would come in and then we actually had one graduate level class together but you actually have to pay the supercomputer in your time like you have a time budget right and when you build a program you have to build a program efficiently enough so that you're not using enough of that department's time budget because that time budget is rolling up to the head honcho dean as your electricity cost, right? So you try and build an application and lower your time budget. But humanity isn't exposed to things on that level, right? And I think this is why like the computer science community has gripped onto cryptocurrencies at the core because they're used to having doing that. They will they will have done that. That's how they're measured. I was just about to say that's that's something you see as a computer science major or computer engineer or yeah. even electrical engineer. Yeah. And that's your life. You understand it. So when you see something like, oh, a global computer that I pay in Ether to use to launch my application that runs on this global computer, you get it. It's intuitive. But if you go to the Joe Schmo on the street and it's like, oh, you want to use your decentralized app or well, you need Ether to make that run on the computer. They're like, what? No, man. I open my app and it works. On my phone. That's how apps work, bro. You know? And so I think that is lost on people. I think the idea of having to pay something to use something digital is lost on people because it's seemingly free for the user. Right? You open up your phone and you do stuff on it. You're not calculating all the way down to the fact that the processes and the memory and all that stuff is eating away at the battery and each time you plug in your phone you're paying a cost to the electric company to put people don't make those connections they're not thinking about stuff like that they're just not so. anyways you don't think about how much your phone how much does your phone cost to charge uh, every day dude, I, I don't even know how to calculate that i need to know like enough i need to know a bunch of things that i don't know about so like, like 12 12 cent kilowatt hours like the upper end of the price you pay for electricity Okay, so how much does that factor into, like, if I have a dead battery? I don't know the capacity. How is the capacity of the battery go? You know what I'm saying. Like, what's the uh, transaction there? Or the translation? So so your battery, iPhone battery, holds a charge of about 1.5 milliamp hour or 5.45 watt hours. So over every day over the course of a year it says you would have to feed it 2000 watt hours or two kilowatt hours that's about 24 cents for a year of charging your phone 
So that's why we don't think about it because it's it's like neg- negligible. Damn, Jesse, you're the most interesting man on the planet. You just do that in your head? No, no, no I was looking at the uh, values for oh. um, kilowatt hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Okay, so that's probably why we don't think about it. But still, that cost adds up and people pay it. Now, when you roll that up to like on a global scale with like Ethereum, it's like we were talking about couponing. And uh, or what I was talking about couponing, like people who try and capture um, value by participating in sweepstakes, participate in radio call call-ins to get concert tickets, participate in retweeting something for a reward. It's because uh, I mean everything's worth something, but some people value. Like I don't, I don't agree with what Ray said that it's greed that drives people to do that, to participate in sweepstakes or participate in these kind of um, incentivized like monetary or um, experiential um, incentivized, um, I guess, social expansion, social marketing efforts. But I think it's like has to do with um, um, more than greed. And, And that's just something I wanted to talk about, but he was just focusing on the greed aspect. What's the one more thing? What's the thing one more than greed that does? You know what I'm trying to say. What? Um, what outside of greed motivates in this ecosystem? Then you have to go back to like human emotions, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, an emotion, isn't it? Uh, greed is not an emotion. Greed is a uh, sin. Greed is a uh, is is potentially driven by fear. Right, or it's driven by. I think I feel I feel like it's a fear. It's a byproduct of fear Fear's in most cases. No. Exactly, and that's that's the core emotion. You're, it's fear. It's fear based, um, or it Ooh. can be compassion based. Greed but and I would fear say, are on the same spectrum. I think you're absolutely right because like people FOMO because they're fearful, literally, <clears throat> and then it drives them to greed. Or like if you're talking about. If you're talking about money from like a financial, um, like having enough money to live on till you're old when you retire, like financial security, um, that's that's a that's a fear. That's a fear that you're experiencing. It's a fear of being able to take care of yourself and not have anybody else try to take care of you. Or you you, it's 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 fear and it's shame, and it's uh, it could be it could be driven by anger. It could be driven driven by by love. So, but. Greed has different roots, but so you have to look at at what's driving that that resource gathering objective or not objective. Um, uh, I guess it's an object- objective, um, but what what drives it? And I think you can't just say greed drives somebody to retweet something for the chance of winning a Tesla. Shout out Justin Justin Sun Tron. He didn't even pay out the Tesla to the guy who won it. Mm. But uh, yeah, it, it could be driven by a lot of different things. And, and it's not any one thing. It's not binary. It's it's gray. It's everything. Okay. But at different different quantities. So anyway. Well, I like when Just the Headers like, gets deep for just a little bit. I think you and I think too much. I think we'd be dangerous if we did smoke weed. Quite honestly, <laughs> it would be dangerous. We can change smoke the world. We smoke <laughs> ourselves in between the threads of humanity, and then we come up with some mind bottling. 
we'd smoke ourselves into Marvel Universe's quantum realm. Jesus. And then what? We'd evade the Thanos snap. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> All you need is weed to avoid Thanos snap. <laughs> we come out of the than of of the quantum realm. Like what happens to everyone? But anyways, um. I'm trying to look at these headlines to see if there's anything else I want to read. I don't think there is, but we do need to wrap, so I'm going to read them. Senate confirms new CFTC chair to secede crypto dad Giancarlo. So everybody knows about the CFTC chair. Uh, margin lenders lost $13.5 million in May to Poloniex crypto crash. That sucks. More details emerge on team behind Facebook's secretive blockchain. Nobody cares. I care. I want to know. Blockchain developers alleged to earn $850,000 per year. Yeah, right. You're going to click on that one. I'm clicking on Facebook. More details emerge on the team behind Facebook's secretive blockchain. Let's see what this is about. By Zach Seward. More names are being linked to Facebook's secretive cryptocurrency project. Following a report Wednesday by the information claiming the social media giant's global coin could debut as early as this month, CNBC reported on 10 Facebook executives linked to the effort. Oh, okay. So, let's uh, see what's going on here. Um, Additionally, as first reported by Coindesk in May, the information says MIT's Christian Catalini is the Facebook Crypto Project's chief economist. Okay. Sunita... Parmesan as the manager of the Switzerland-based foundation leading the token project according to the information. Meanwhile, some of the 10... I'm sorry. Her name is Sunita Parasuraman. Sunita Parasuraman. It's not that difficult, actually. Um, Meanwhile, some of the 10 executives working under Facebook blockchain lead uh, David Marcus are based in Israel, so I don't know if we're getting information here at all. So, whatever. I don't give a shit who's working on this. As noted by the information, I don't care who's working on what's supposed to be a decentralized blockchain. I don't. That's why I don't care who's Satoshi. I'm over it. I'm over it. Rant over. So... Thank you guys for thank you guys for chiming in. Uh, we hope you guys all get your opportunity to use your Zuck Bucks coming at you from Facebook. Uh, what am I missing anything, Jesse? Nope, nope, you're not missing anything. I was just looking at the 850k per year salary article. Yeah, that sounds juicy to you. You went in on that? It's like no, I just wanted to see money. what it was about. It's, uh, it says 20% of their salary was paid in BTC in 2014, so averaged up. It's like you get 85 BTC as part of their bonus, and including their uh, salary. And that's how they got 850k per year. Mm. Yeah. Some rich people out there right now. There are rich people. Unless they sold. Idiots. So, um... Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Just the Headers, the Bitcoin Podcast Network's presentation of crypto and headline news. Um, are you playing a game? Are you playing EverQuest? No, I'm closing all these tabs. Oh, okay. You know, I met someone who played EverQuest. EverQuest I've never played EverQuest. 
by the way. My bad. I didn't mean to offend. Hey, man. I know people who've lost their lives to EverQuest. No, for real? Yeah. What What do you mean? Oh, like they're addicted like, to it? Like they're so addicted they've neglected their children. So their kids got put in child protective services? So I don't know what happened to the kid. Oh, okay. That's even or worse. Or the other kid. Yeah. Well, um, thank you guys for listening to Just the Headers. We're glad to bring it to you. Uh, the news is getting a little bit better. Shocking how the news gets better when the price starts to creep back up. Thank you guys for tuning in. Tell your friends about how amazing this is. Listen, subscribe on your podcast app right now. To you unique listeners that just stumbled upon this show, I know you exist. I've got the data. Go to thebitcoinpodcast.com and see the other shows. Look into your Open up your podcast app right now and hit subscribe. A um, little bit, little background: the Just the Headers is is not the main show, or not it wasn't the beginning show. The network was the Bitcoin Podcast is the flagship show, and then we have hashing it out. We have Bullpen Podcast, uh, we have Dose of Ether, we have On Wrapping with D. We have a lot of shows about crypto that you can listen to if you need your crypto fix. So. Yeah. I wonder if there are any people that just listen to Just the Headers. I think there's a lot of people that just listen to Just the Headers. And for you that, think? you're welcome. And we love you. Damn. That'd be cool. So, um, Also, if you would like to support the entire network's endeavors as we grow, because we are growing and doing some things that are different, well, we're going to be happy to present them to you as they finish. Uh, you can go to patreon.com and search for the Bitcoin Podcast Network and you will find us there. You can become a patron and there are tiers. One of them includes you getting a bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos. So why wouldn't you want a bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos? What's wrong with you? Wait, did, didn't didn't somebody, didn't Lane do that or somebody did? Uh, yeah, Elias did it and I think Ken wants it too. So we have some a couple bags. I did this for, did for you selfish said, reasons. I yeah. wanted to have to get to a point where I'm calling Frito-Lay themselves and I'm saying, what is the price on your wholesale boxes of 99-cent bags of Flaming Hot Cheetos? And they're probably just going to be like, you just go to Costco. You don't yeah. want this many. And I'm going to say, no, 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 no. I need thousands of bags of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Millions. Millions. I have a warehouse building. price. Okay, because I need to send. You don't understand how many flaming hot Cheetos I gotta send out to my patrons. Okay, I I need them. So that to, that to be would be a moment of great success as a content creator. If I were having to buy so many bags of flaming hot Cheetos, <laughs> but you only get them one month. I need to make that clear. Some people DM me and they're like, "Hey, do I get Cheetos every month?" And I'm like, "That's every a month. weird thing to want." Why don't you just go to the gas station? <laughs> that's awesome, like, though. Like, no, you get Cheetos once. You get the Cheetos that's one like, time. That's like the people who bought the Tesla, and then they get to use the supercharger forever, yeah. versus the people who bought the Tesla like three years later. What if are like, yeah, every month, dude, you get Cheetos. Like, oh, my God, this is the best, this is the best content creator ever. I've always <laughs> wanted a monthly bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos. They don't subscribe for the content. They just subscribe for the Cheetos yeah. at this point. It's right into my dietary habits. That no, that's exactly... such a good idea, though. Like, think about it, right? Like, we 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 plug whatever snack we're eating, and then 
if they Patreon us, like, I don't know, 20 bucks, I don't know what, what makes sense, maybe 10 bucks or 20 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Then like every time they hear the weekly, just the headers, they should be getting the snack for the previous week. I mean, we could work that out if they gave us, but why would they pay $20 for? Cause they love us and they just want to be close to us by eating our snacks that we're eating while yeah. we podcast for them. Yep. How about this? We send you a gift card for $5. No, no, no. It, that's too difficult. It has to be the actual snack. Like directly yeah, to them. You have to think about the customer. Listen, Jeff based? Bezos didn't get where he got because he didn't think about the customer first. You have to think about the customer first. So what if we just sent you guys a dollar for, for fruit? <laughs> and you sent us $5 to get that $1. It's too much effort to convert the dollar into fruit for most people. You have to make the fruit appear without dollars being an intermediary. What if we taught them how to garden? So that way, you know, teach them. Give a man an apple, he eats for a day. Teach a man to garden, he eats six months later. We teach them how to Patreon and then we give them apples. Oh. We're going to get this sorted, but in the meantime, you can become a patron, and there's tiers on there, so please look through all of them and know that we love you. So, that's it. Um, play the, the outro. outro. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> The song just never seen.